So good evening, everyone. We'll continue with the 45th Anucheta of the Bhagavat Sundarbha, Srila Jiva Goswami. A short title for this Anucheta being that the Lord's body is eternal and all-pervading. As an evidence to this, Jiva Goswami has used some prayers that were offered by Lord Brahma to Lord Vishnu as an emissary on behalf of Indra, who had gotten into a bit of a jam over a flower garland that Dorvas Muni offered to him. Indra generally takes help in approaching the Lord. So we notice here he's approached Lord Brahma. Could you help me out here? I committed offense. I've lost my position and my wealth, my beauty, it's all gone away because some sage uh, wasn't real happy with my conduct. And then we notice even in the Vraj uh, Leela when Indra came, when he came to actually apologize for the whole fiasco that is the Govardhan Leela, Krishna's lifting Govardhan Hill, he finally came to his senses and realized that if Krishna wants to worship a hill instead of me, that's fine with me. It's probably best. So he finally came to his senses, and we notice he didn't go by himself. He took uh, Bhumi to pacify the Lord at that time. Looks like he sometimes needs support in approaching the Lord. He's uh, a little reluctant to approach directly. These prayers are being used as an ex- as praman by Jiva Goswami uh, to bring out certain points regarding the nature of Bhagavan, his personal characteristics. In presenting this praman, Jiva Goswami again is using not only the verses from the Bhagavatam themselves, but the verses and the commentary on those verses by Sridhar Swami. So this is becoming a recurring theme throughout Jiva's presentation, is using Sridhar Swami's commentary as, as Praman. So we can just, we can begin to get some insight into how significant Sridhar Swami's commentary was viewed by the Gaudiya Vaishnavas, although they themselves have have come out with their own commentaries, uh, up to this point, Sridhar Swamis is is, uh, is probably seen as no one looks at their own works as significant. So, as more significant, uh, Jiva himself came out with his own commentary on the Bhagavatam, which he calls a Sandarbha. And Darba. We covered the first of the two verses. Just to recap, I respectfully bow down to you, this is the verse from the Bhagavatam, who are the most exalted, who have never been subject to birth, continuance, we went over that term, continuance, stiti, or dissolution, who's tra- who transcend the material gunas, who are an ocean of bliss, and we discussed the fact that the use of this terminology in Ocean of Bliss as opposed to 
the water in the hoof pit of a calf uh, is significant when we come to Krishna's personal form. Prayer could have been, if you want to look at the impersonal Brahman aspect or uh, mukti for the jivan mukti, then there is also some pleasure there, but not, it's not an ocean. It's it's a drop in the ocean. <laughs> you are an ocean of bliss in the form of complete cessation of material existence. You are finer than the atom, and whose abodes are beyond counting. Finer than the atom, again, showing that the Lord is so infinite and so infinitesimal, containing both of these qualities, he's so infinite, Infinitesimal, he enters into the heart of the jiva, who himself is pretty small. And they give us some indication as to how small, one tenth thousandth the size of the tip of your hair. And Krishna can enter into that as super soul. But then when the yogi meditates on the paramatma within the heart, Again, we go back to medium size, not medium, medium, little medium, the size between the thumb and the forefinger. So they meditate on a form of the Lord, Paramatma, within their heart, within everyone's heart. These terminologies have been brought out to bring out characteristics of the Lord. Uh, Really, in the prayer, uh, the terminology is used, aparigunya damne one whose form is immeasurable. We can't measure how small it is, and we can't measure how large it is. So on to the second verse, promise praying. O Lord, O Supreme Person, this form of yours is worthy of worship by all seekers of ultimate good, by the means described in the Vedas or the Tantras. O Lord, O Creator, in this universal form of yours, I see us, God's, along with the three planetary systems. Sridhar Swami's elaboration on this verse. Brahma further establishes the eternal and immeasurable nature of the Lord's body in the subsequent verse. O Supreme Person, O Creator, this form of yours is always worthy of worship by those who desire ultimate good by means of the Vedic and Tantric processes. Therefore, it is understood that this is not the first time this form has appeared. Now, Sridhar gets into a dialogue on behalf of Krishna, putting up an objection to what Brahma's just said. The Lord objects, but you, Davis, are properly considered worshipable, aren't you? You're saying I'm worshipable, but aren't you worshipable also? So the Vedas are eternal. And the Vedas recommend worship of the Lord. And the Vedas also recommend worship of the gods, the demigods. So they must, the Vedas are eternal. We know that you're saying the Lord's eternal. Well, that means the demigods must be eternal also. Right? Makes sense to look at it that way. So there's a doubt The Vedas also recommend worshipping these devas. Are they also eternal? The answer is no. But the posts of the demigods are eternal. Just as the Lord manifests his form 
and sometimes withdraws it. He sometimes manifests and he sometimes unmanifests. The material universe is sometimes manifest and sometimes unmanifest. Comes in a cycle. And the positions of the devas, they're consistent every time a universe manifests. So when the universe comes, then there must be a Brahma to do the creation. There must be a Shiva to destroy it at the end, and there must be Vishnu to maintain it. So Schroeder goes on in his commentary to answer for Brahma, Krishna's query. True, but we are all contained in this form of yours. To convey this, Brahma uses the expletives you and ha, which are explanations of astonishment as well as indications that something is self-evident. In your form I see all of us devas along with the three planetary systems. Brahma then gives the reason behind this. Since the whole universe is contained within your body, Vishvamurti, therefore your form is not limited by anything. Sridhar Swami's explanation ends here. We also find that in the Sandarbhas, when Jiva Goswami uses a, the commentary of Sridhar Swami, he's careful to let us know, okay, I'm ending his commentary, what follows now will be my comments. Don't confuse the two. Basically, he's, he's taking a humble position. Okay, Sridhar Swami said this, so now uh, this is what I have to say in regards to both the verse from the Bhagavatam and the commentary on that verse by Sridhar Swami. By using the metaphor of the ocean in describing the Lord as an ocean of bliss in the form of complete cessation, nirvana, sankara navaya, Brahma refutes the idea that the Lord is not is nothing more than the bliss of liberation, but is in fact a joy far exceeding that. In order to substantiate that statement that Jiva's just made, he quotes the Srimad Bhagavatam. And he quotes a verse spoken by uh, Dhruva Maharaj. And Dhruva said the following. The bliss relished by embodied beings through meditation on your lotus feet or through hearing stories of or by your devotees is not available even in Brahman, which is your glory. How then can it be enjoyed by the devas who fall down from their airplanes, which are destroyed by the sword of death? Again, using a different Praman to accentuate the point in Brahma's prayer, and that Praman itself is from the Bhagavatam, another verse from the Bhagavatam, where Dhruva Maharaj is revealing in his prayers that this bliss far exceeds Brahmananda. It far exceeds any joyfulness that the Devas would have in heaven. They die. What kind of joy is that? He's making the comparison in his prayer. 
the the joy that one gets from meditation on your lotus feet or from hearing stories about you by you or by your devotees is not available even in Brahman want to speak of the pleasures of heaven going on to the 40 well we're not going on that far we're going on to a, the continuance of the 45th Anucheta. So this was a long Anucheta, and Babaji Sachin Das has, has broken it up into two sections. He's taken the one section, which is an Anucheta, and made it into two sections for our easier digestion. The Lord's form is neither subtle nor gross. So in the previous section, the reference to the a measure a, a application of a measurement to the Lord's form was given and it was shown that he's the smallest and the largest but that doesn't mean that he doesn't doesn't have any form or personality so naturally you would think if something is infinitesimal there's nothing smaller than the smallest of the smallest then what form could be there? Or if something is all-encompassing, what, what form could be there? So without form, can there really be personality? Because these are things that come up. When we think about these things deeply that Jeeva's presenting, then these kind of thoughts come. And they've come to Jiva, and he's dealing with them. Well, if I'm, I just said this, well, there has to be something in the Bhagavatam that I can deal with this way of thinking that if the Supreme is infinitesimal and infinite and medium-sized, then I need, I need scriptural reference. I need to be able to, to show, show us, to prove these points, to bring them out. And let me milk these things completely from the Bhagavatam. In order to further this line of thought regarding the Lord having form and personality, he's going to use some verses from the prayers of Gajendra. This is from the 8th canto. He's going to rely on two verses from the 8th canto. So the story of Gajendra, he lived on Trikuta Mountain in the heavenly atmosphere and he went to drink water in a la- from a lake and he was attacked by a crocodile. He tried to get free for a long, long time and he wasn't being successful. He was losing all of his life force. The crocodile was getting the better of him because the crocodile was in his own environment and Gajendra was in a foreign environment. He's seeing, there's no way out of this. I'm so big and it's so small, but it's got the better, it's got the upper hand here. And after an extended period of time, he finally, in desperation, he remembers prayers to the Supreme Lord. I should ask for help here. I should ask God for help. 
he offers these prayers. And these prayers have some real interesting characteristics. In these prayers, we do not find any direct nomenclature for the Supreme Lord himself. He doesn't address the Lord directly. He seems to address the Lord very indirectly. In fact, he seems to be addressing the impersonal Brahman or addressing anybody that would hear his plea and come to his assistance. So the first verse from Gajendra's prayers that are used in this Brahman by Jiva, speaking of the Lord, he's trying to address the Lord or a Lord, we don't know. And that's the point that Jiva's bringing out. He is neither a Deva nor an Asura, neither a human being nor a lower creature. He is not female, male, eunuch, or an embodied being of any kind. He is not a constituent quality of nature, guna, nor the mechanism of action, karma. Neither is he cause or effect. He is unlimited and remains when everything is negated. May he be ever glorious. Again, Jiva using Sridhar Swami's commentary from the Bhagavatam on these verses. I'm not going to read exactly his commentary. I just pulled out the high, high notes of it. He says he's neither male or female or eunuch. So that means he doesn't have any of the male character, uh, the, the material characteristics of any of these persons, male or female. He's not a constituent quality of nature. And Sridhar says, therefore, we must take the import to be that he is the activator of nature. He is neither cause, sat, or effect, asat, implies that it is because he is self-luminous. Now, we also know that we've had some discussion of this cause and effect when it comes to Jiva Maya and Guna Maya. So in that respect, we sometimes look at the Lord as the causal. But in this instance, that cause, and also in that instance, it's not seen as direct. It's through his potencies. He activates the modes of material nature. It's not that it's... it's just through his potency alone that that there can be the active ingredients within material nature like the attracting power of a magnet it's 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 a natural thing but there's no, it doesn't have personality in and of itself it doesn't have consciousness in and of itself heat the light and heat of the sun are characteristics of the energy of the sun but it's not that they 
in and of themselves have a consciousness. So those are the effective gunas. You understand these two divisions of maya. When everything is negated, he is the ultimate remainder. Going on to the second verse that Jiva uses, because Gajendra, now these verses are not consecutive. Uh, the first verse was 24, and the second verse that uh, is being used is the 30th verse. So the prayers have ended, and the commentary in the Bhagavatam goes on. Because Gajendra, the king of the elephants, had described the absolute in non-specific terms, the gods headed by Brahma who identify themselves with particular names and forms did not come to his aid. So the demigods also are hearing, they're conscious, they're aware, they know what's happening in the universe, they are super cognitive within the framework of their duties and responsibilities within the universe, and the prayers are coming, but they're not hearing their name. Indra, help me. Brahma, help me. Agni, come to my aid. So they're not hearing their name. They're demigods within the material realm. They themselves are associated with their name or position, like Indra, president. You know, Indra has his own personal name, but the, the nomenclature Indra exemplifies that personality's position in universal administration. So they didn't come. They weren't being called directly, and their specific qualities in relationship to their materialistic responsibilities in universal administration were not being exemplified in the prayers of Gajendra. At that moment, Sri Hari, the embodiment of all the gods, appeared there since he is the self of them all. Naturally, we can assume that because the Lord himself appeared the characteristics that were spoken of in the prayers of Gajendra were were characteristics that were act, that are applicable to him. He fulfilled the criteria of the appeals being made by by Gajendra. Gajendra's prayers reveal real purpose of vai. Negativa, a terminology that means a way of describing something by saying what it is not, especially denying any finite quality to be attributed to God. This is a way of defining the Supreme by saying, well, He has no hands, He has no legs, Nati Nati, He's not this, He's not that. And this is not, this kind of nomenclature in scripture is not something that's 
characteristics of only upon the Upanishads. Other religions also use you cannot say his name, you cannot, you know, you. There's no way to describe the Lord's characteristics in in our mundane language. So better not to say anything. Well, we say everything, but when we look to what we say, what we say is what? Subda Brahman, originating in non-human description, transcendent description, a purusaya. So we all you know, we also agree that you cannot describe the Lord in in mundane terminology but we can describe the Lord in transcendent terminology. So that's what we do. Now, it may be in what we are equating with mundane words, but they're not mundane words. So here, in these prayers, it's interesting, Gajendra, he doesn't know what to say, but he knows what God isn't. You're not the modes of material nature. What's he saying, the one that's used as an example? You're not a deva. You're not an asura. You're not a human being. You're not a man. You're not a woman. You're not a eunuch. You're nothing to do with the gunas. You're not a mechanism of karma. So these, all these, you're not, you're not, you're not, you're not. What's left? What's left at the end of the prayers is you I know what you aren't I'm a I'm an elephant I don't have much intelligence but I do know that I don't know who you are but I do know who you aren't that's the that's the that's the point that's that's being brought out here I do know no do not know what you what you are but I I'm pretty sure I can figure out things that you aren't so some statements of the Vedas are also like this. The ones that emphasize the unqualified nature of the Absolute. He has no hands, yet he receives. He has no feet, yet he walks swiftly. He sees, though devoid of eyes. And he hears without ears. Swedish this means he has no material body. But how would you explain that to somebody? Who's, so the, the scripture is meant to bring out things in a way that we can relate to them. Well, we can't relate to what actually is God, but we can relate to what the Veda is saying here. The Upanishadic statement, it's... God can do these things, but he doesn't need any of the tools that I have. So although he used nondescript terms, he did have a person in mind. So the Lord came. Brahman didn't come. Brahmati, Parama. It wasn't that Gajendra was, was, his worship was not of Brahman. He just didn't know what to say. He knew what God wasn't. But he wanted, he was addressing God. 
And the words Niseda Sasha and Asasha in his prayer are significant. Niseda Sasha, when everything is denied by the process of elimination, Nati Nati, Bhagavan is all that remains. Sasha. So when we when we deny everything that God isn't, what's left is God. Asasha, adding an A to Sasha, means that God is the embodiment of everything also. He is Advayagyana, non-dual consciousness. So Gajendra also in his prayers confirms that the Lord is not unqualified Brahman. GV uses one more verse to make sure we understand that the concept of the of the supreme that he's trying to convey here, and that Gajendra was conveying in his prayers, is not the concept of Brahman without qualities. And this is actually not a prayer but it's a verse. Though in great pain, speaking of Gajendra, due to the grip of the mighty crocodile within the water, upon seeing Sri Hari in the sky, mounted on Garuda, with his disc raised, held up, up, holding a lotus in his trunk, and with great difficulty, Gajendra uttered the words, O Sri Narayan, Teacher of the universe, my obeisance is unto you. So apparently, he knew that the form that appeared before him was Narayan. He was calling for God. You come, whatever, come, what I, I have no, whichever manifestation you like, that's fine. I know, um, let's just help me. Whoever nearby. So Narayan, he, he knew when he saw, and of course, again, the revelation of which form of the Lord had come could be immediately granted just by the Supreme Lord showing up as Narayan, just as Dhruva Maharaj. He didn't know how to pray, but with the touch of the conch shell, he became the most expert at, at Vedic statements. So we'll stop there. Thank you so much for your association.